Business Class listeners, this is episode number 187 on Wisco Weekly. I'm your host, Dennis Wisco, automotive's biggest fan and biggest critic. On today's episode, we hear from Karma Automotive. Yes, that's right, Karma Automotive. It's no secret that Karma has plans to go public, if you've been following along. Earlier this year, in 2021, they raised $100 million to validate their business operation as they gear up to go public. They also engaged in a partnership with the Las Vegas Raiders and Allegiant Stadium, where included in this partnership, there is a Karma Automotive Lounge, a VIP entertainment lounge held at the stadium. Karma is allowed digital signage throughout the stadium, and they are also sponsoring a EV charging station or EV charging stations in the parking lots of Allegiant Stadium. So in this episode, I wanted to get a feel for Karma's pursuit to becoming a publicly traded company. One of their strategies to find product market fit is their Powered by Karma initiative. Powered by Karma is the business-to-business operation where they bring their vehicle engineering processes and their technology stack to help other businesses with their fleet solutions. Featured on this episode is Jeff DeFrank, Director of Technology Assessment at Karma Automotive, and Evan Bontrager, Director of Business Development at Karma Automotive. Just a few announcements. Upcoming, there will be the release of a new podcast miniseries here on Wisco Weekly, evaluating the data-inspired decisions of dealers throughout the pandemic. It's introspective. It's critical. It calls for a serious mind shift in conducting business in this big data world. So that will be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Also, thank you to the latest set of reviews, Jackie Hilo 808, Aurora Auto, Auto Genier, uh, for your reviews of Wisco Weekly. I sincerely appreciate that and for you tuning in. Also, if you yourself are finding these episodes to be educational and of value to you, please consider giving Wisco Weekly a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Upcoming also, there will be a lot of earnings calls for quarter three. So stay tuned. Be sure you're subscribed to the show. I'll be covering some of the earnings calls of some of the big automotive companies in our space. And also coming up next week will be Miss Rebecca Fannin, a journalist, author, and the host of Silicon Dragon, a media platform that exposes U.S. and China business relations. That's actually a very good one. So without further ado, let's get into the show with Mr. Jeff DeFrank and Evan Bontrager of Karma Automotive. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhay, bienvenidos, vitaita, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly Business Class listeners. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the show. And my, I feel like a newborn being exposed to the world. This is the first time in since pre-COVID that I'm actually recording on-site at a company. I am here at the headquarters of Karma Automotive in Irvine, California. And joining me on today's episode, 
are two like-minded individuals who both share a background in business consulting. From there, they diverge in their professional experiences and bring complementary perspectives to the table. Evan Bontrager studied economics and business at Kalamazoo College and managerial economics and strategy at London School of Economics. His work experience spans the roles of business owner, wealth manager, asset manager, and business and business development. Currently, he serves as the director of business development at Karma Automotive. My other guest, Mr. Jeff DeFrank, studied mechanical engineering at State University of New York at Buffalo. His work experience includes vehicle engineering at Tesla, chief technology officer at Alt-E Technologies, a company he helped co-found. And now he serves as director of technology assessment at Karma Automotive. Men, women, and children here to share what the new business model of electric vehicle manufacturer Karma is doing is Mr. Evan Bontrager and Mr. Jeff DeFrank. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, that was a very exciting thank you. I I, I appreciate the excitement coming at me right now. You're, you're well, just... thank you for the, the introduction. That was a, a nice one. Well, gentlemen, I, I'm appreciative uh, of you uh, housing me here. Uh, uh, thanks to Mr. Jeff Holland, who, who's helped put this all together. I mean, I think first off, maybe before we kind of uh, uh, get to the crux of our conversation here is maybe, uh, Evan, let's start with you. Maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and why it is that Karma Automotive is the place you said that, you know what, for the next year, two years, for the rest of my life, this is where I want to focus my attention and energy. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for being here and we're happy to have you. Um, so I, I grew up in Michigan and uh, was always in part growing up there, but also having family uh, with business kind of in and around the automotive space was a, uh, a big car guy growing up. So, you know, all the Hot Wheels, everything going down to the Woodward Dream Cruise, um, taking a peek at whatever's coming off the line from the big three uh, and then others. I was always pretty excited about the automotive space. Um, and it was kind of always in my mind that maybe that's somewhere that I would like to work eventually um, but I didn't really know exactly when or how that that might be. Um, so I went to Kalamazoo College, um, studied in London for a bit as well. Uh, ended up starting my career kind of in medical technology, doing sort of a uh, rotational program by by accident almost, starting with international marketing, and then also had a role in business development there, which was my first kind of foray into that space of looking at not only what do we want to sell next week, next month, but how do we want to position ourselves to be, um, you know, growing and compete strategically in that market space, you know, a year, five years, 10 years down the road. So I, I found that pretty interesting, um, kind of working with R&D and working across the company to see, okay, how can we better what we have, but how can we come up with new products, new technologies um, to position ourselves for, for success in the future? Um, fast forward, I, I worked with a few companies, uh, kind of startups in biometrics, um, other technology, did some operations consulting, uh, moved out to Los Angeles in 2014, uh, worked in private equity for a little while, and then uh, fast forward a couple years beyond that, and I found myself looking at an opportunity here uh, where Carmel was kind of at a point thinking, okay, we have this beautiful luxury car, but we can do more than that. Um, we have our own manufacturing facility, we have a battery lab, a dyno lab, a design studio. We have all these capabilities of an OEM, 
um, that we think we can do more with. And with the EV space growing so much and so many people getting into this space, you have varying degrees of um, you know, expertise in each of these companies. You have a lot of people that want to move quickly and might need uh, or could use some of the help uh, and services that we, we find that we can provide. So uh, I thought that was an exciting time. It was an interesting way for me to kind of bridge some of the experience that I had built uh, and then get into the automotive space. And uh, not uh, not a bad looking car either. So do, do you see, like how much of growing up in Michigan and now being in California, where it's not the you know mecca of automotive, but you are at such a forward thinking company at Karma, you know does it does this kind of is this like a throwback of being home or like how much how much of being at an automotive company reminds you of home? Yeah, I would say a bit. I str- I struggle to say it's a throwback to home, especially in the fall growing up in <laughs> Michigan. And as we were talking earlier, I feel a little ripped off with the weather here, although it, it is beautiful most of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are aspects of that, obviously. Um, I think that growing up, it was always looking at the industry as a fan of the vehicles. And now working in one, obviously, you know, you kind of see how things are done, how things are made. It's more on the business side, but still certainly have that appreciation. Um, and Southern California is is not Detroit, but I mean, the entire state, obviously you have uh, players like, like Tesla and then others, you know, um, Rivian and Faraday, Fisker. So there's, yeah. there's quite a bit going on here um, with traditional OEMs uh, as well as some of the newer uh, players. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of, Certainly a lot of uh, conversation between California and Michigan um, and a lot of collaboration, hopefully, uh, and around the world, too. I mean, I remember I got into this very spirited debate with uh, another guest I had on the show who was uh, from Michigan and kind of going back and forth, arguing on on which state has the bigger car culture, California or Michigan. And my argument was California by pure numbers of consumption of vehicles, whether it's buying or maintaining. And his point was, well, where do they all come from? And where then are all the business and suppliers? So we end up getting nowhere, but still always a good debate to have with uh, Michigan folks. (laughs) Mr. DeFrank, how about yourself? So uh, again, you are the engineer, the technologist uh, with that mindset, and you now are working at Karma uh, as part of the Powered by Karma division, which we will get into on what that is. But what is it that brought you here? What is it that you see and like about Karma that you're willing to devote all of your time and attention and effort in? Well, kind of as alluding to what uh, you know, Evan said about uh, the whole Karma being in a unique position to look at business a little bit differently. So if you notice, my career has been a consultant and I went into consulting after working for Ford for about two months because I didn't want to be the whatever it is, the fuel door guy or the door handle guy or the pigeonholed into one place guy. Right. I wanted to be the guy that looks at more stuff on a vehicle. As I went through my career, I learned a lot more and was involved in everything from structures and crash vehicle dynamics to electric powertrains. And so Karma gave me that opportunity to look at all the technology that goes into the vehicle, all the advanced technology. Take a look at the technology we have internally 
try and figure out how to repackage that and where it could be useful outside and create business cases around that working with Evan here. And, and you know, Evan develops the market. I look at the technology together. We put together a business case for that and say, this is our plan to go out and use this, right? And nowhere else in the industry do you have somebody that's that forward thinking, right? That that can take a look and say, okay, yeah, there's there's some synergies here and maybe it'd be more efficient for us to work together instead of trying to work against each other. It's kind of like a, a, a new thought process in the automotive industry. And it's really been, you know, fairly beneficial to us, both as career-wise and, and as a company to be able to go out and look at different things like this. And we see some of the startups trying to do this and some ideas, you know, they, they create a platform, I can put anything on it. But fortunately, we have experience behind putting vehicles on the road and we kind of have an edge up on those guys. What So like if you were to go back to, even though you only had a two month stint at Ford, obviously you're very um, in tune with, and you had a stint at Tesla as well. So you, you're, you're very familiar with vehicle engineering. What is something, and this doesn't have to be specifically about karma, okay? Like speak freely if you'd like here. And that is, what is it about the, the technology of a vehicle these days that, you know, is most different gets you most excited than some of the things that you've been that you're already familiar with yeah so i've actually worked on over 35 different vehicle platforms really yeah like give, so, give, like what are, so what are some of the examples of um some? i've worked on a lot of vehicle platforms for ford the ford 500 the uh the um a and B vehicles, uh, both the sedans, the pickup trucks, and the SUVs for Brazil. Um, I've worked on vehicles for GM, for Mitsubishi, for Chrysler, for Mercedes, for BMW, for Volkswagen, um, and actually some of the Chinese companies. So I have a broad experience okay. that right. kind yeah. of spans the world and, and have been able to look at a lot of different things. And of course, there was that stint at Tesla. Um, so. I look at things differently, but what I like about the automotive industry now is, is kind of what Elon saw, right? It cars are becoming more of a technology platform than just a way to get around. And then that technology enhances our lives. It, it allows us to focus on what we like about driving, no matter who we are. If driving is just getting point, point A to point B, I can enhance that for you. Right, I, I can help you get there better, more efficiently, with less stress. If if driving for you is a, a joy and a pleasure because you like to give up, get out on a curvy road, but maybe you know, like myself, I hate to commute. So again, with uh, assisted driving programs, you know, the different technology that helps the car drive itself during that commute, and then I can just take over when I get to where it's interesting. Right, so technology can do so many things and. You know, it can actually enhance our experience and enhance our capabilities as a driver. It makes the vehicles more safe and it integrates our technology life from our homes, our cars to our office, everything in between. And I see a lot of innovation, especially in Southern California in that area. Mm. You know, I, I think Detroit, yeah, great. You have a supply base, you have a lot of enthusiasts and you do a lot of old school stuff even when you're looking at new technology. But here in Southern California, we're pushing the boundaries, we're, we're pushing what it means to be a car 
And we're pushing what it means to have that, that technology in a car. We're pushing here at Karma what it means to be a luxury car. And so to me, that's really exciting. Evan, I'm not going to have you respond, but you're going to use, so you have two Californians now against uh, yourself there in which Jeff, <laughs> I will say like, you know, some of the, something that you said that I absolutely love is uh, it, it's like this fusion of technology and being a hippie again, right? It's, it's the love of driving. And this kind of brings me to perhaps a, you know, something I've been thinking about, about uh, with regards to where we are going as an American car culture an American mobility culture, whatever, you know, lump that all together. Where are we going? Because prior to, let's say over the last, especially four years, the last four years, I've really been studying the automotive market and where it was, where and where it's going. And I would say that growing up in the 80s um, and, and then even more so the 90s, where I was older, I was more in tune with what's going on. The 90s are kind of these carryover years from the 70s in which getting a car was really just about freedom. Like that was that's why you wanted a car. That's why when you turned 16, it was so exciting to get a driving license because it was the first time you could go by yourself, be away with your parents, do whatever you wanted. Right. So that was always the focus. It was was freedom. Car equals freedom. Nowadays, because of technology, because of Uber, a lot of 16 year olds are delaying their driving their, their driver's license. Right. So then it's like, if you look at the prevailing winds of culture and society, everything is about electrification and autonomous driving, right? Sometimes the conversations are warranted. Sometimes I feel that those conversations are too excessive. It's like, look, let's, can we get back to reality, please? Like there's, we have real problems we're trying to solve these days. And we're still talking about like gyrocopters flying from building to building, you know, like it's, what, what are we doing guys? So. So you bring up something, uh, uh, Jeff, that's interesting in that, you know, tech, cars these days are becoming more like technology companies and hence technology is here to make our lives better. Karma has this new division. I'm going to call it a division. I'll have you maybe explain specifically. But Karma has this area called the Powered by Karma, which is more of a business to business solutions program. And businesses can come out and say, hey, I have this concept Karma, powered by Karma, here you go. We like your platform. Put it together. I see more companies looking to do something like this, in which this is now evolving this traditional automaker. So for, I guess to start off, what is powered by Karma? Yeah, I, I can describe it. So, so um, you know, as Jeff mentioned before, too, we're in a, a unique place as a company in that, you know, we, we have the ability to be fairly nimble and agile, but we are an OEM that does have uh, vehicles on the road with millions of miles that have accumulated uh, amongst them, right? And so the experience and um, uh, the technology and everything that went into that is something that we can then use and, and harness in helping other people solve their mobility problems. Um, so Powered by Karma is really more of just a formalized uh, effort to do that. Um, and it's our group internally looking at B2B opportunities um, where, you know, that could be contract manufacturing. It could be uh, help with certain engineering problems. Um, it could be electrification of commercial vehicles uh, and uh, among other things. So that's that's essentially what, what Powered by Karma is, is us as a company finding ways to power the uh, mobility um, ambitions of, of other companies. 
Okay, so so then let's get now to thank you, thank you for that, Evan. So let's get to the second part here. And Jeff, this is going to be directed towards you. And I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here at all, but there was something that I read on your LinkedIn resume, and I have it here somewhere. Aha. Uh-huh. So Jeff, on your LinkedIn resume, okay, and not to say this encapsulates you fully, but it's 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 very good phrasing. It's very good business phrasing. You, you write, extensive engineering background coupled with an analytical ability to deliver results by the strategic implementation of standard best practices, processes, and innovative application of technological, de- technological developments to resolve manufacturing challenges, i.e., you have the... Uh, you, you have the wherewithal to be able to execute a plan because that plan solves a problem. So if you are assessing karma powered by karma, what is the manufacturing challenge powered by karma is resolving? Yeah. So really, if you look at that whole statement and there's a lot of words packed into a pretty compact statement. And one of the uh, one of the things we look at it if you think about a manufacturing problem, um, what most people don't realize is that manufacturing problems often come up because we didn't coordinate well and we didn't have a good process from beginning to end. And so, you know, if you're trying to figure out a manufacturing problem, which is, you know, what we're all in the business of is making things, um, you know, you need to be able to look completely up and downstream to make that work out. And so powered by karma, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, we're solving a manufacturing problem. We're solving a mobility problem. And the right? pro- mobility and problem so is? If you look at, we saw an opportunity um, in the class three to six vehicle space because there's a number of people out there that are electrifying these vehicles, but they don't have the automotive experience and background. So anybody can make an electric vehicle just like anybody can make a car. Um, when I was 16, I used to fix a lot of people's projects because anybody thought they could do a hot rod, but they really were pretty terrible to drive. Um, There was a lot of knowledge that I had to research and gain in order to make a car that was safe and effective and easy to drive that had a lot more power and performance than what the manufacturer intended. And likewise, there's a lot of knowledge that you have to gain to put out reliable, safe electric vehicles. And we have that experience. We've shown that at the ACT Expo, we had a ride and drive and even our competition drove our vehicles and, and it was clear that our vehicle was so much better than theirs. And it was just a proof of concept. It wasn't even a production vehicle. So that's the problem we're solving, right? How do I put these things into, um, into the market? And you know, one of the things that we've looked at for those commercial vehicles, right? Okay, we see a, we see a space and there's a need. Well, the market is actually bigger, about 10 times as big as if we can repower vehicles. Now- The market is 10 times as big if we can repower vehicles. What does that mean? So in this space, these guys will two or three times put a new whole powertrain into their vehicle. So what if, what if I put, instead of a new gas or diesel powertrain, I put a new electric powertrain in there? Less and, parts, more more reliable, more durable. And TCO is so much more favorable. It'll pay for that change within a couple of years, two, three years, right? 
So it makes a lot of market sense. And now if you're putting this in at the end of life of a vehicle, because of the way we've designed it, you can pull it back out and put it in your next vehicle. Right? I see what you're saying. So there's, there's a huge upside for the market on this. And we've created a new manufacturing process. Right? So you say, what problem are you solving? We're solving a problem that people didn't even know existed. We're creating markets that people didn't know were there. And now we can take this and instead of just doing all of this initial installs and stuff in our location here in uh, Southern California, we can copy that process and work with partners all over the country to do the same thing. So it's, you know, Arrival has an idea of, okay, yeah, this is micromanufacturing. This is micromanufacturing at its best. We have the market, we have the real purpose. And you know, if it makes sense to build something here and then ship it everywhere, that's what we'll do. But if it makes sense to put up small little installation in um, you know, manufacturing facilities, that's what we'll do. And so those are the kind of problems that we solve. We look at a holistic system for what needs to be done. And it may be simple. It may be like on the Evans Arrow project, it may be uh what is evan's arrow project you know and maybe evan could just actually talk about you know what we solved there. well hang on before we get to evan's arrow project which i do want to know about so if so if i understand correctly then the, the class three through class six space which we're talking about a class three of an amazon delivery van to class six we're talking now like that's towing what like three thousand or no that's a gross that's a GVWR gross vehicle weight ratio, a rating of like 30,000 pounds or something of that nature. So, so big, big trucks here we're talking about. Yeah. So we're talking about the, those kinds of menu, the, those, the way that those are manufactured, those, uh, th there's a better process to be able to make a, a platform, a powertrain that's more technology, more technologically advanced. Uh, it can last longer, and it's it's a little bit more nimble in a sense of if if a, if a company like UPS doesn't need their Class Three vehicle anymore, you could essentially almost recycle that back, take out the the powertrain, tune it up again, and apply it somewhere else. So there's an element of sustainability in here too. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we've looked at the whole ecosystem and said this is the most effective way to impact the ecosystem. Uh -huh. What, ooh, so you know, you're the engineer talking about an ecosystem. What is the ecosystem here? So if we're looking at the ecosystem for commercial vehicles. We're talking about, you know, it, we first decided to attack it from a powertrain um, point of view, right? And so that whole ecosystem is, you know, what do I do with my powertrain? How do I maintain that powertrain? And at some point in the life when I need to replace that powertrain, you know, do I replace that with gas or with an electrified system? And then how does that impact my whole business? And so we looked at, as I explained earlier, we, we looked at how we um, convert those vehicles, how we get our powertrains into those systems without having to ship trucks all over the world. We, we looked at uh, end of life for these powertrains. We looked at, now that I give you, you know, 20 or 30 electric vehicles, how do you charge them effectively, right? And, and so we're developing partnerships with different companies that can come in and bring in solar power where it makes sense. 
or bring in the right infrastructure or uh, wireless charging. You know, and everybody's scenario is a little bit different. So we we offer you all of these, you know, this holistic view of the life cycle of your vehicle that will save you money. And, and you're looking at if um, if I took and bought a brand new gasoline vehicle, right? And I was going to drive it um, for six years and, you know, let's say about 30,000 miles a year, which is, you know, pretty typical, maybe a little on the low side for a commercial vehicle. So if I bought a brand new gasoline vehicle, if I ripped out that new powertrain and threw it away, mm-hmm. right? It just, it, and we don't throw things away. Obviously, we recycle that. You know, there's other uses, uh, other people that maybe don't want an electric powertrain, they can reuse this stuff so it doesn't go to waste but essentially if i just i don't have any payback on that right and i put in an electric powertrain into your vehicle over that six years you're going to come out ahead by about seventy thousand dollars because because your maintenance is now almost zero if you look at these commercial vehicles, you know, typically they're replacing brakes or replacing tires. There's all kinds of maintenance on the well, power Well, that would still system. have to be replaced though. Brakes? So on our cars, we, you know, on our Karma cars, mm-hmm. we do the brakes every 100,000 miles or so. Okay, right. How often do you do them on your car? Yeah, right, 20,000 or so, right? right. So in, on, yeah, yeah, it's same thing on the commercial vehicles. Because of the regen, you don't use your brakes. Mm-hmm. It's the motors are doing the work. And we found, unlike a, on a car where you're delivering a lot of torque, a lot of extra torque, like Teslas go through tires. Why? Well, the, if you could do zero to 60 in less than three seconds, you're going to go through tires. You're That's literally just the burning math, rubber. Right? Yeah. But, you know, we control that torque that the driver gets to use so that he can be safe, effective, and efficient. And he doesn't burn through tires. He actually uses less tires. And so we've done some studies out there with other electric vehicles that have been in the market with our vehicles. And we found that the maintenance is almost zero compared to other vehicles. And I know that if a typical gasoline or you know ice engine is going to cost you somewhere between $800 and $1,200 to maintain that commercial vehicle every month. And for ours, you don't have those fees the cost of fuel is so much less. When you figure in the cost of electricity um, versus fuel, you're paying a lot less money per mile to drive that thing on electricity. And so you come up with all of these benefits and all of those benefits added together, you know, will we'll give you a big benefit and then you subtract out the big cost of the electric system and you find out, oh, it saves you money. You're Evan, for you, in your role of business development, you know, if you had to pick three companies out there right now in the ether that you're like, you know what, those those are the contracts I want. What, what, what who are those three? I don't know if it's three specific companies. I think that there are there are areas that I I find very interesting. Right, so one. Uh, is on the manufacturing side. So I think that there are a lot of companies that have unique needs um, at certain volumes that, that are very attractive for us. So the, uh, the Aero project, for example, that, that Jeff mentioned, 
um, our collective Karma Arrow project <laughs> is uh, is one where we had a, a partner uh, of ours, Arrow, A-Y-R-O, from Texas, who came to us uh, and said that they were about to launch um, the new version of, of the vehicle that they make that's uh, sold under the club car brand. And they um, were expanding beyond volumes that they had done in the past. They wanted the vehicle to be um, you know, uh, more robust going forward, looking at the possibility of new vehicles uh, to develop and wanted the benefit of our expertise as an OEM and also uh, our manufacturing facility where our team is extremely experienced in, in building, uh, building vehicles and uh, building quality into that build process. So, you know, we were able to realize certain efficiencies, develop new processes, and there are a number of companies where there are a lot of drawings on paper, um, a lot of companies even with pretty big valuations um, Such but, as? but not yet a car. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at the EV space broadly, right? Okay. Um, and there are a lot that have gone public through various means. A lot of those companies do not have vehicles on the road yet. Um, they might have prototypes. Some of them don't even have a prototype. Um, and so that's not casting dispersions at all. It's, it's saying that this is a very, mm -hmm. you know, it's a complicated process to develop, engineer, and build a vehicle. Um, we have capabilities that can help along that journey, right? Whether it is everywhere from, you know, the, the battery side with the lab we have here, the dyno side, um, continuous improvement down the line, or looking at, you know, how can we help you build these in a strategic location in California, about an hour from our headquarters here, um, and, uh, you know, in a, in a massive EV market in California, right? And, well, okay. Thank you for that. Let's, if we can get maybe even some additional color in this, Jeff, the same question to you. I mean, if, if there is a particular platform out there right now that it's like, wow, if, if that, I won't say company, if, if that manufacturing system was in my hands and I had the ability to now apply Karma's technology on top of it or replace it, like, to, like again, I have to say, like, who are these companies? That's the only way I could ask that question. But like, like, wh which companies for you are, are? Would you be most excited about taking over? You know, their 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 platform or offering yeah. your platform? We're you know, I think we're pretty open, and and we look at kind of like in the in the case of Arrow, um, a lot of these startup companies you look at what happened to tesla when they tried to start manufacturing cars in volume it, it was they hired all the experts but it's still difficult to put a team together to get a team to work together and to get you know to have a group of guys that can look at things and say oh yeah this is the way it should be done we're in, in the process of manufacturing vehicles so when we brought in the aero project it was pretty easy for us to say okay um, yeah, it's not a luxury vehicle. It's different. This is how we should put it together. But these are still the things we same things we got to pay attention to in order to have a quality vehicle for you. Right. And so all of these startups need some help in that area. And since we can put it together from cradle to grave, essentially from the beginning to the end, and we can help you out anywhere along that process or all the way along that process. And I think 
you know, and, I, and I'd like to take this a little bit of a twist, too, because, again, um, going back to that commercial vehicle market, that, that class three to six vehicle, what we're seeing, you know, if you look at, oh, um, Amazon's going to buy a lot of trucks. Well, really? Um, because a lot of the vehicles that Amazon has their little stickers on aren't Amazon trucks. Right. Right. They're run by a, a, another fleet manager. It's the same thing with a lot of the fleets out there in different areas. They're run by fleet managers. We see more and more fleet managers getting into this business. And we're, we're actually creating and have relationships with fleet managers. You know, why is that? Because those guys can also, you know, talking, going back to that ecosystem, those guys are part of that ecosystem. They can help um, do a lot of things in integrating our powertrain systems not physically into the vehicle, but into that space. Yeah. It, either buying the vehicles themselves and then leasing them back out, so they you know decrease that kind of that hurdle of the cost of the electrification system, or providing um, their own partners for recharging and charging your vehicles, and or maybe putting up temporary charging stations for you. All kinds of creative solutions that are. Um, our fleet management partners can bring to the table. Yeah. And so those are really interesting to us. And well, yeah, if I can jump in on that too, I think part of it, you know, we've, we've been sharing some of the things that, that we have a lot of experience in as a company, but in selecting partners, there are things that they know better than us because this is their business they've been doing for, in some cases, uh, you know, decades. So it's invaluable to have partnerships across the board where you can really kind of take the temperature of, of that space, figure out what the real pain points are, and not um, jump into something with a prescriptive approach from the beginning to say, oh, well, this is how you should do this, um, because maybe there's a better way, right? So we can, we can pair our expertise with expert opinions and advice and thoughts uh, from other people that have been working in these different areas to then collectively come up with um, you know, new solutions, new ideas that we can, that we can go after. Is the uh, are are you guys familiar with how big the class three to class six space is? We've looked at a few. Yeah, Jeff might know some of the specifics, but it, it, it kind of depends on how you look at it, right? So there's new vehicles made every year, obviously, and then as Jeff uh, alluded to before, there are plenty of vehicles that have been in service for years, um, and depending on the you know the specific kind of preferences of the fleet uh, manager and owner they might extend that longer or want to replace those. So, um, you know, it, it kind of depends, but it's, it's bigger than the new vehicle market for sure. Um, and the way that we are developing these uh, powertrain solutions is modular in a way that we can look at different vehicle platforms, right? And, and the thing about some of these as well is that the chassis underpinning these, um, some of the more commonly used vehicles really haven't changed much in several years. So you have a pretty similar um, kind of frame rail setup that we can package something within um, to attack a lot of that market. Yeah, so we're looking at about a million new vehicles a year in the US in that space. In terms of like like building and replacing? That's, that's how many are produced every year. It's, okay. a, it's about a, a million units. Um, and you know, so that doesn't include like uh, a lot of pickup trucks and other things like that. It, it includes the 
more shuttle bus, tow truck, ambulance, delivery truck, all of that type of stuff. And they have a lifetime of somewhere typically um, 10 to 15 years. Um, and, and so we've looked at, you know, on average, there's about, roughly speaking, almost 10 times as many of that we could repower every year which would be about 10 million vehicles that we could repower every year. 10 million vehicles that you could repower every year using the Karma platform. Is what's um what's the charging infrastructure look like? You know, so I mean with with all these you know with, with all these electric vehicles that are being produced for instance uh I won't get too political but just a, a, a something that's coming out right now right is this whole reconciliation bill and part of the reconciliation bill they're allocating in its current form 7.5 billion dollars towards uh of uh, electric charging stations for 10 million vehicles how many charging stations do you need to accommodate that? Yeah, we would need uh, roughly a charging station for every two to three vehicles. Is that is that that's what the ratio works out to be? That's yeah, just uh, based on use case and how you how you plug them in. It, it doesn't mean necessarily mean that charging station is running twenty four seven, right, or anything right. like that. It, certainly, there's a there's an expense to put a cable into or a pad in to charge a vehicle um, and and it takes time and that's why again we've said we've we're working with different partners in the area that understand the uh, kind of the difficulties in um, putting in these charging stations and and one of the things that a lot of people think about is like oh how many public charging stations do you have to uh, charge a commercial vehicle and my question is, is how many public ch charging stations do I need to charge my commercial vehicle? Right. The answer is zero. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because nobody's going to pay somebody to go stand and watch this thing charge for even if I can charge it in 20 minutes. Right. doesn't matter how big a hose I have. I'm not going to pay a guy to do that. I want to have that charging station at my facility. And a lot of these facilities have the capability to start putting in charging stations. So. You know, if you have uh, 10 trucks, it doesn't mean that I want to convert all 10 of those today. And right? it's it's not it's not a one size fits all either. Right. So, it, again, as Jeff said, looking at different partners to kind of go uh, go with a holistic solution to these fleet uh, owners and managers, whoever they are. Some people have fleets that they park on property that they don't own. Um, other people, you know, may have their own lot, but they've been waiting for permits to install the chargers that they might have, but they still have to install them. So there are a lot of different challenges and that can vary based on, you know, where somebody is and, um, you know, different requirements and local regulations and all that. But, um, you know, it's why we're trying to build a network of partners and solutions that we can then go with um, at least some thoughts, if, if not direct answers on how they can do that. If I'm, I'm the CEO of a mobility company, I come to you guys, I say, I want, I have 300 vehicles in my fleet, but I need 50 vehicles to be replaced. I'd like to seek out the Karma platform uh, to to provide me with a class three vehicle, 50 of them. 
how long or when can I expect 50 vehicles? So that depends on what your let's ballpark. Just, give me give me ballpark. Well, I mean, I, let's I, just I'm say if I go you, like middle. When you say 50 vehicles, are you saying you you what kind of vehicles are these? Are these step vans? Are they class three to six class existing three. vehicles you want to repower? Or when you say repower, well, it, let's say that it's a five-year-old, you know, ten-year-old um, step van. The transmission's shut, and you say, "Hey, um, I need some electric vehicles. Can you put? Uh, can you electrify this? Put a powertrain in it? That's that's one way I see of doing it. it, right? So um, it depends. I mean, I, again, these are not these are not currently in volume production. Um, we're in the prototype phase. We have two uh, prototypes that have been very well received. So I can't give you an exact answer on that. Um, but you know, we, we would want to obviously minimize any downtime, especially if these fleets are using these to generate revenue, um, any time that those are out of service, uh, is, you know, potentially lost revenue for them. So sure. we want to minimize that. But again, there's a lot of these vehicles where maybe there is something mechanically wrong with them and we can give them a second life, so to speak. Um, or on the new side, you know, a brand new vehicle that, that could have our powertrain in it. So it really kind of varies. What, um, so what if they are the new vehicles, though? Well, one, you have to find them first because a lot of those were well, purchased true, by guess. all the all those companies over the pandemic. So uh, <clears throat> that's another another selling point of doing this for existing vehicles. Uh, you can't always find the new ones. So I, you know, I don't know that we can give you an exact answer on that, Jeff. If you have any thoughts on, you know, process wise, you, you know, we would want to target something, like I said, to get it back in service as quickly as possible. You're, you're not going to be waiting several weeks or months at all. Won't be waiting several weeks or months with regards to just like figuring out if if getting 50 vehicles is possible. I mean, even even let's say we, we get to volume production. Yeah, right? you're, it, it, it would not take that long. Huh. But but again, this is it's okay. all dependent on a lot of things. It's a hypothetical. Yeah, there's not one size fits all. It's just there's so many different variables with doing it. You can't say, oh, I need 50 of these vehicles and how long does it take? It's a mm-hmm. powertrain. Is it how, the, how old is the vehicle? What needs to be done? I mean, there's, I don't know how many different variables that could be just. I mean, it's uh, the way. It's a hypothetical, so it's hard to, it's hard to answer. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way that I think about this, right, is that if, if I go to Audi, if I go to Ford and I say, hey, I'd like to get the Ford F 150. Uh, and let's say actually, I'm even thinking about putting an order for the lightning, you know, so I know that there's at least a six month delay till it actually starts getting built again, at least according to what they say. And then it's probably about a year out. So I know about a year and a half, I will, I could get at least that Ford F-150 truck. I'm just trying to get a sense of if someone were to come to you guys and say, Hey, here's an order. And you know, how can they hedge on the future of their business on the fact that, okay, I have my next 50 vehicles a class three vehicle coming into my fleet. So now I can do, I can, you know, scale up my operation knowing that I have the, these vehicles. That's what I'm just trying to understand. Talk about yeah. Process, so what you can, what you know yeah. you can do. But that's well, a, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, look, we, we're, we're certainly targeting being in production on these vehicles within the next year. Right. Um, and the fact that at the, uh, the ACT expo advanced clean transportation expo in long beach, um, you know, we, we had our vehicles there. We drove them in. One of them was driven down from Los Angeles, did the ride and drive, and was driven back. I saw a lot of other vehicles that, um, you know, were, were towed in by forklifts, were trailered out for, for different reasons. And again, that's it's. A, I think a lot of people are doing great work in trying to address the needs of this market. I think that 
from where we're at with these prototypes, I'm pretty pleased and people that have driven them are pretty pleased. So we're, we're a decent ways uh, towards getting these to where they're, they're ready for volume production. Um, so it, it, without having the final system and knowing the exact components and time on the boat to get any of those that might be overseas components working with domestic suppliers, it's tough to give an exact date. But, but again, from the time that we would get a vehicle to repower or to have a new one to send out to customers, we want to do that as quickly and efficiently as possible. And uh, are you gentlemen, will Powered by Karma be at the LA Auto Show? I guess that's even more a question for you, Jeff Holland. Yeah, this year, no, we had plans uh, before the pandemic. I mean, every everything's changed. We just had a Detroit Auto Show that wasn't in Cobo Hall anymore. They had it, it in concert with the M1 Concourse event that got rained out. And then it's just auto shows kind of aren't what they used to be. Um, and uh, we had to make a decision, I think, back by May, whether or not we were going to re-up for the space, but because of business planning and things that we have, initiatives, not just with Powered by Karma, but with Karma Automotive that um, you know, we're foregoing it this year, but we're looking at events next year, starting with CES in January uh, as a possibility, uh, and then others that'll follow. Yeah. So. And we will be, mid-November, we'll be at Comotion LA. Yep. Um, and we were actually, uh, Karma was there a couple years ago, and... Um, so we'll, we'll be there again, and our the shuttle uh, that we powered will be there. Shout out to John Rassant of Comotion. Yes. Yeah, and, and our, uh, <laughs> this kind of is in alignment with what we've been talking about as our vision, right? The car is a technology platform. And so that's why we would go to CES. That's why Comotion's important. That's why auto shows kind of, they're nice to go there, but they're not as critical as some of these other mm-hmm. events. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Gentlemen, thank you for the for the conversation. What's um? How can people get in touch with Powered by Karma? Yeah, so I believe we have up on our page. Um, yeah, we have a. You can check out our website, um, KarmaAutomotive.com. There is a Powered by Karma tab there. Um, you know, obviously, feel free to reach out to either myself or Jeff on on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, feel free to uh, submit a a form or reach out to us, and would love to chat with anybody. And thank you again for for chatting with us. Yeah, Dennis, I think it was a really good discussion here. Really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to anybody who has questions. Feel free to contact us through one of those methods that Evan mentioned. And business class listeners, I will put on the episode page uh, a link on where you could find uh, Jeff and Evan. Mr. Jeff Holland, thank you for hooking this uh, interview up. I appreciate it. And as we end every episode, cheers. Prost, lachain, kipis, nastravi, salut, kampai, mabruk, tutsins, kambe, yamas, nastrovie, vo, salute, and saudi to the customer experience. Business class listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode of Wisco Weekly. If you enjoyed the show, please do provide Wisco Weekly a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be here again next week. 